Welcome and thanks for joining us today. I'm Colleen Dwyer. I'm a senior Alan Carr's Easy Way therapist. I'm the presenter of our series of online video programs and your podcast host. I'm sure you're going to love today's episode. Our guests are experts in their fields and they share a wealth of knowledge and insight that will help you on your journey towards a healthier, more fulfilling life. Firstly, I'm speaking with John Dicey for our Addiction Central segment. John Dicey is the global CEO of Alan Carr's Easy Way, and he's also co-author of Alan Carr Books and a senior Alan Carr's Easy Way therapist who has helped millions of addicts to freedom over the last 25 years. John and I will be hearing from listeners who have contacted us with questions including, is it really possible to completely cure cocaine addiction with just one six-hour seminar? What should I do if the alcohol book hasn't stopped me from drinking? And we also have a question regarding the application of Alan Carr's method to procrastination. If you'd like your questions answered, drop us a line on pod at alancar.com with whatever you'd like to say or any questions that you have. We are also joined today by Emma Hudson, who is the mindfulness practitioner at Alan Carr's Easy Way. Emma talks about how the Alan Carr method fits perfectly with a practice of mindfulness. Emma also talks about how our mindfulness program came to be. We'll be happy to hear from you if you have any questions about any addiction. And even if we don't actually feature your question in a future episode of the podcast, we will personally reply to every question we receive, providing you with detailed advice and guidance. So don't forget, get in touch on pod at alancar.com and do also check out alancar.com and see the range of addictions and issues that Alan Carr's Easy Way has now been applied to. So let's get started. Here I am talking with John Dicey. This is Addiction Central. Addiction Central. We want to air your success stories. Answer your questions. And provide advice. If Alan Carr's Eastway hasn't worked for you, this advice is free of charge. We'll answer every question we receive with no exceptions. Contact us now at pod at alancar.com. So, John, welcome back to Addiction Central. And we've had quite a lot of emails through. And the first one is from Martin, who's in the Caribbean. And Martin Martin said that he's read the Alan Carr book before. He did it in uh, 2009 for smoking, and it was like a miracle. He quit. He went from, well, he doesn't say how many he smoked, but he, he quit, and he's never had a problem with it. He couldn't believe that it was so effective. But he's saying, do the same techniques and principles really also work for cocaine addiction? And he's saying, as all addicts are, I'm really skeptical about believing that anything can really help me with this soul-destroying habit. But then I also thought that about smoking. So I'm really keen to know whether what you do is tailored for other drugs. That's a great question, isn't it? Where was um, Martin from? Um, The Caribbean? That's it, yeah. Uh, but yes, it's a, it's a good question. We, we covered some of this, I think, in a previous episode in terms of how how each addiction is handled sort of very differently. There are also key principles to Alan Carr's easy way. But this is a good opportunity to, to look at the, the, those other aspects. So whether it's cocaine or cannabis or prescription drugs or ketamine, any drug really anyone 
can mention we've helped people with really which is incredible really but it's in my reply to um to martin i said if only it was so easy just to replace the word smoking with the word you know uh, snorting or whatever it might be for cocaine or, or or whatever drugs involved um that would make life really easy wouldn't it but uh, it's not like that at all so we've got the key foundations of of easy way uh, around that we have to hang you know the specific tailor tailored um examples um uh explanations um understanding of how each particular addiction works um so no it, uh, i think some people are worried about that you know i think they do think oh well is it going to be exactly the same as the smoking seminar, for example, you know, except with a you know, different word be used? Uh, it definitely isn't. As I say, if only it was, it would have, would have been able to come up with the new, the new elements of the method a lot, a lot quicker. Um, but certainly within, if we can use the, the term sort of other drugs, if that makes sense, whether illicit or prescription drugs or whatever, other drugs that don't include sort of our main ones, so smoking, alcohol, sugar or whatever, um, you know, other drugs, there's similarity in, in the seminar for those drugs. So they're all one-to-ones. That's the main difference. Um, because what we found was, uh, we've, Quite often, people don't want to necessarily share within a group like that. Um, they don't um, feel as comfortable um, doing that. But also, they're quite they're quite in depth. So the therapist team, sort of who who, who work on those, have to be quite flexible. So because someone will come in and say, "Oh, you know, so which drug is it you'd like help with?" And they say, "Well, there's four." <laughs> <laughs> depends what I'm doing which, which drug I'm taking so that imagine the sort of a one size fits all seminar doesn't really work in that kind of environment so there's you know, huge similarities in those one to one seminars so there's that kind of uh, more than a skeleton of, of the seminar there's a kind of a really good structure on it uh, on which we hang the conversation between the therapist and the client and, and actually get to the bottom of exactly what it is that they need help with and, and, uh, uh, and what have you. So, um, yeah, so we can rest, um, uh, put minds mind at rest that, you know, it, it, it couldn't be more tailor-made for the the other drugs seminars, shall we say. Do you think other drugs is a good good expression? I always struggle with it because it's sort of, well, you say other drugs, well, does that mean that, that nicotine isn't a drug or alcohol isn't a drug or whatever? But I think that's the best way for us to describe it. Um, I know what you really? mean, but uh, no, other drugs I think is um, is understood. And Martin was saying about being, you know, really sceptical because it, do, it does sound like quite incredible that um, one seminar or one book or one video program can help you get rid of an addiction to cocaine because cocaine is traditionally seen as this, you know, hard-hitting, class-A drug. But as Martin said, he had the same kind of scepticism when he came along to um, his seminar for smoking. He was thinking, well, okay, it can do it for nicotine, but can it really do it for cocaine? But uh, of course it can. I was doing um, 
a call uh, just last week with a company talking about our well-being at work offering and uh, talking about how we address issues like cocaine or nicotine or alcohol or gambling and debt, all, all the 14 different titles that we've got at the moment. One of the questions the lady, a lady had on the call was, what if someone seeks your help for cocaine? So they watch the online video program for cocaine. And she said, but they, they have, you know, it's their problem is too big for your program to help because everyone sort of expects there to be, you know, a rehab clinic. You know, you have to go somewhere for six weeks. You, you know, this is how big the problem is. You need to throw a lot of money at it, a lot of time, you know, a lot of willpower. And, uh, and I explained that what's, what counts is not the the length of time that you spend you know studying the issue it's the content you know of the of the program that you're you're using to get the person off so you know but she was incredulous that you know a, a 6 hour program could help you to quit cocaine addiction initially so you know what i'm saying is martin saying like all addicts he's skeptical but really everyone's skeptical an addict or a non-addict would be skeptical that a one-day program could help you to quit, but it does. You know, it's it's uh, we're very proud and happy to say that it works. Absolutely, that speaks to the brainwashing factor, doesn't it? Whether it's to do with smoking, or alcohol, or, or other drugs, that that even people and Alan used to make this point himself frequently that that even people who don't take the drug, and this is the point you're making as well, even people who don't take the drug believe the brainwashing. You know. And part of that brainwashing is that it's hard to stop, that you can't, you can't just quit and uh, get free, um, and that you'll spend the rest of your life kind of miserable or moping after the drug. So that's that is, it's a great indication of the uh, the scale of the brain brainwashing that so many people who've never taken the drugs also also believe it in, to be impossible. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Free, so, um, so that's cool. The other thing that Martin was um, was saying, he said he did his smoking seminar in person. He doesn't live in England, like he he lives in the Caribbean. So he's worried that a Zoom session won't be as effective as being there in person. So, do you have any numbers as to the success rate for online versus in person? I love the way you say Caribbean. I can't say it like that. You you got an American. <laughs> It's because I said, at first I said, it's Martin from the Caribbean, but then you questioned me. You said, where's he from? I thought, well, maybe I pronounced it wrong. So I switched it. How do you say aluminium? Aluminium? Aluminum. aluminum. No, I don't know. Oh, yeah, there you go. Take it. Anyway, I I, I digress. No, it's it's another another great question, really, isn't it? And this comes up quite frequently. Post-COVID and during COVID, lots lots of companies, lots of service providers, you know, worked really hard at switching their operations sort of online. Um, um, we were very fortunate um, in that we'd already done that. So come back a long while, we'd, we were presenting uh, seminars online, live. Uh, I don't know, when we started five years ago, something like that, maybe six years ago. Uh, so it really, we got lots of data on it. We've got, had lots of experience on it and... Um, and it was very very simple for us to, to introduce that in, in territories where we didn't yet do it. So we started off in the USA. So we had our main seminars in uh, our main centers in um, New York and uh, Los Angeles, really, Toronto, North America, and to Canada. And it, we got stuck on that for quite a long time. And overnight, by, by putting, them, putting them live and online, um, you know, I mean, it's in a 
every city, every state, coast to coast, which is, it was just extraordinary, really. And we were so careful doing that. I think some providers doing it sort of in the heat of the COVID crisis, we made lots of mistakes. But because we, we you know, we planned for it this five, six years ago, um, what I wanted to do desperately was to reproduce exactly the vibe of being in the room, as we always had to. So it was important that, and this is easy now with with with, with platforms like Zoom, but going back six or seven years, there wasn't much uh the, the tech wasn't wasn't really anywhere near like it was today we used some different lots of different platforms over a period of time so it doesn't seem that sort of revolutionary now but but to say right i want the the therapist facilitator to be able to see all the clients or all the clients to be able to see the therapist facilitator and it's a two-way you know conversation between clients and the therapist facilitator it was quite a tall tall quite a challenge back then um, but we succeeded with it and we worked really hard at it and it really is no different we offer the same it's exactly the same content exactly the same therapist exactly the same money back guarantee there's no there is no difference with it um, so uh, we can reassure everybody of that over many many years the uh, the effectiveness the success rate you know is equal the, 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 there's no difference which is brilliant, you know, it's reassuring for people. It means that Martin doesn't have to fly from the uh, Caribbean to London or, or or New York or somewhere to, 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 to get his session. Did I answer the question? I, I waffled on for quite a long time. No, absolutely. That's um, That answered both the points that um, that Martin had and, you know, hopefully finds that reassuring. Um, so, uh, so that's cool. The next email that we received in is from Carlos in Atlanta. USA, if I pronounce that right. <laughs> and he says... Um, Could I just say you pronounce the Caribbean perfectly well. I, I was just uh, joking, really, because, there, you know, there's two accepted pronunciations, isn't there? And I can't do the flashy one that you do. Caribbean. <laughs> so, yeah, Carlos from Atlanta says, I desperately need to stop drinking. But what do you do when you've listened to the book three times and the urge to drink still exists? He says, I feel an immense grief when I think about not drinking and I'm really scared and now it's starting to hurt my marriage. Yeah, it's tough because you can really, you sense Carlos's um, angst and, you know, panic really. Yeah, I feel, I really feel for Carlos and I think it's, it's such a well-trodden path. People, um... I think most people have heard of the book, less people have heard of the seminars, and very few people realise that the seminars are the original version of the method. It wasn't the book that was turned into a seminar. The original version of the method was was the seminar. The most effective version of the method has always been and will always be the seminar, just because of its nature. It's, it's interactive. You, it takes into account everybody's understanding, everyone's ability, uh, um, it, it, you're able to sort of ask questions and, and uh, um, seek clarification. There is, there really is no sort of um, comparison. Um, so people who who fail to quit with the book, whether it's alcohol or, or, or sugar or smoking or vaping or whatever it might be, um, we have book, books for each of those, programs for each of those. They beat themselves up. They feel really bad about themselves. And, you know, my heart goes out to them because, well, it, the, the method didn't click for you. And um, um, don't, it's not your fault. It's just one of those things. I'm very lucky in a way 
that I can completely empathise because the book didn't click for me either. Um, when I stopped smoking, I was an 80-a-day smoker. And like, I guess, um, Carlos, um, everything in the book resonated with me. It all kind of made sense to me, and I thought I understood it. But I just, I just carried on smoking. I don't, you know, I didn't even nearly quit. And I was a terrible, terrible, uh, terribly bad at quitting. Um, anything <laughs> just sort of last a few hours um really um and it wasn't until i heard about the um the seminars i thought i'd give them give them a go um and that's when i found out what how oh this is this is it this is like the the, the book is the kind of a if you can't get to a seminar go for it you, this this brings the method to you so and i'm not saying to carlos you've got to come to a seminar like the book hasn't worked for you three times you haven't you, you know now you need to go to a seminar or sign up for the online video program. <clears throat> I've never said that to anybody. It's one of those things, you know, you've got to take it, bear in mind, like, uh, can people afford it? Uh, I mean, even with the, the Stop Smoking seminars, I think within three or four weeks of stopping smoking, you've saved you've saved the fee anyway that you pay for it. And um, with a money-back guarantee, you, you can't lose. But um, I think... I always have to assume the person I'm giving advice to doesn't have any money. They have got, they've got no, this is their, this is their shot. They have reached out to us for help. So what I always do, we get, I don't know how many we get every week, but it's, it's it, hundreds of requests for help and on via social media and what have you. I assume in our replies, they haven't got any money um, to spend on anything else. And therefore sort of giving them the best possible advice I can in the event that they want to reread the book again, this time with success. Now, <clears throat> I can't not say, look, if you can afford it, this is this is the way you should go. This is the the, the most natural, an uh, uh, obvious thing for you to do. Um, and ultimately, it does get to that point eventually. Sometimes, if somebody keeps reading book again and again and again and again, you know, something's got to change. Um, for them to have success, and there are people who who've read the book ten times and then succeeded, and they say to that person, they say to God, "I'll read it again, read it again, really concentrate on it, don't stop reading it until you stop." But it will, you know, even if you have to read it twenty times, carry on. And that would have broken my heart if, if I'd been given that advice uh, when I fell with the book, because I think, well. How many more times have I got to read it and keep keep going? So I think the people offer the advice really they they're very well in, in uh, intentioned offering that advice, but it's the wrong advice. You know, the number one advice for anybody who's read the book without success, whether it's once, twice, three times, ten times, get in touch with us. We give some um, free of charge advice based on what you tell us. We've got a questionnaire about you know your experiences with Alan Carr. Uh, the method and um and take it take it from there whether you want to read the book again using that advice or whether you're able to then you know think about it and say well okay i want to i want to maximize my chances of success i use the online video program or i'll sign up for a live seminar and, uh, and take it from there so carlos i think i forwarded you my reply was i think about three pages was <laughs> it i can't remember how long my reply was um, to Carlos, but um, it, take it, it takes into account everything that, that the person tells us. Um, 
and has them kind of, okay, let's, let's go about this uh, uh, the same um, objective in a different way, whether that's with the book or the online video program or the uh, uh, live seminar. Did I answer the question? Perfectly. I think that was great. I mean, at the, it, listening to you, it's, um, you know, like it's reassuring when you say that you've, because you get so many of these kind of communications in to the, uh, to the head office of people seeking, you know, support in some form or other. To hear you say that, you know, you, you have to assume that someone doesn't have any money so that you, because really you're, you're, well, my instant reaction would be, you've got to do the seminar. <laughs> what are you messing about for? This stuff is critical to your, you know, enjoyment of life and your um, quality of life and your length of life. You know, this is this is not about buying a new pair of trainers. This is, you know, real big stuff. So um, I'd have to keep a lid on that, you know, to keep in mind that not if it's not an option for for some people at that moment in time. And then you've got the the additional support or guidance you know by filling in the forms online so uh, so it's good thank you um, so hopefully that helps you carlos beth from connecticut in the usa oh beth said she used the alan car easy way to lose weight book and um she said but she listened to the podcast she enjoyed it but she had a sound issue and um, she said the intro and the outro music was really like big thumping bass and it startled her you know so she had the volume at the right level for the, to hear our voices but then uh, the music just like came in quite unexpectedly so yeah apologies for that beth that's terrible so we'll um, we'll make adjustments uh, on that level so that everything's a bit more normalized because uh, that must have been a bit annoying we have henry who is from california in uh, the united states and henry is saying i've quit digital addiction thanks to the easy way method and i am very grateful for the improvement to my life that that's brought one of the other things i've always struggled with is laziness there are so many things i know i should do and in fact i want to do them either out of like personal interest or a sense of responsibility but it somehow feels impossible to start doing them it's hard to put my finger on exactly what the feeling is but there is this intense mental resistance whenever i even think about those things and I was wondering if the EasyWay method has a solution for overcoming that issue. I'd appreciate any help you can provide. Yeah, well, we did. Um, we did. We did ask people to. You know, it doesn't. They could ask for help with even stuff we don't offer help with, if that makes sense. Because there's, there's, we've always got something to say about any real, any behaviour issue, really, um, or addiction. And Henry sort of. It sounds like he either read uh, the smartphone and dumb phone book or use the uh, online video program for it to... Uh, what in particular was his issue? Was it just technology? He, he Digital addiction is what he said, but he didn't specify, you know, which, which whether it was the book or the video. Yeah, the book, the book and the online video program, they sort of cover the same, the same issues. Um, mainly uh, stuff you do on your phone, um, social media, social networking... You know, message messenger groups, that kind of thing. Um, gaming is touched on in there as well. Um, uh, it's great that it worked for you, Henry. It's great to hear. Um, the the issue you 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 were talking about there is really interesting. And I did um, again. You probably got my reply there to to Henry. I think it was a page and a half, two pages long, or something. 
with with thinking about uh, doing a program on on this uh, when people just don't get around to doing stuff. They put stuff off. They procrastination. Exactly, um, and that seems to be a twenty first century thing that's getting worse and worse. So I think we will do something on that at some point in the future, and even when we do, it will include stuff. Um, like that, which I mentioned to Henry, which is okay. Well, look, you're aware you've got a problem. You've obviously tried to 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 come up with a solution to not be so lazy or whatever else, and um, and failed. So let, maybe start looking at looking at it uh, from a different point of view. Maybe look at um, your diet, what you're eating. Um, uh, we know for a fact that when people's diet is made up of lots of starchy carbs, processed carbs, refined sugar. It has the, uh, the image of giving you energy, but it does the complete opposite. Um, it, it, you know, actually become quite sluggish, uh, unmotivated, uh, less mobile, less active. Uh, generally, that's the way it goes. So have a look at that, uh, Henry. Even if you're resistant to that, and you might think, well, it's nothing to do with my diet, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fine. I, 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 I would just look at that. And if your diet is made up mainly of of stuff like bread, pasta, pizza, lots of rice, uh, sugar, that kind of pastry kind of stuff, flour, it might be worth just looking into that. The Good Sugar, Bad Sugar book, uh, online video program, and live seminar are absolutely rocking it at the moment. They're really just helping so many people. Um, and it's not just people who are suffering with type 2 diabetes and actually their blood sugars go back to normal within a few days uh, of, of just changing what they're eating. And people find it absolutely extraordinary. Uh, and when we created the program, it, it, this was, this you know, we were criticised for it because it, was, it, was, it just seemed sort of completely radical and go against the grain of anybody, anything anybody else was saying. But now it's genuinely accepted that if you cut refined sugar, starchy carbs, uh, processed carbs, etc., out, out of your diet, then you get rid of type two. So you, you, you know, almost overnight, it stays away as long as you stay off those um, foods in a loosest sense of the term. Um, and with that, it's not just the uh, the change in body shape, the weight loss that, that that ensues. It's the mental acuity, it's the motivation, the energy, just is incomparable. So um, have a think about that, Henry. If it's not that, you know, if you're uh, great, eating a great healthy diet, um, low in those ingredients, um, think about are you um, heavily into caffeine? You use a lot of stimulants because, again, the image is... Now this keeps you zipping, gives you wings, shall we say, according to uh, Red Bull. It does the complete opposite, of course. Uh, it gradually drags you lower and lower, saps your energy and your motivation. Um, I know, Colleen, you were heavily involved in um, the program, doing program for, for caffeine addiction. And it, it was one of those odd ones. I, you know, it's sort of, uh, we wanted to do it because lots of people expressed a concern with their caffeine consumption. Um, it's helped a lot of a lot of people. It's, it's a really great thing to do. Of course, Henry, if you're not only in a you know a, a refined processed carbs, refined sugar heavy diet, and you're a caffeine consumer, of, uh, <laughs> then you've got both solutions there. But it, that you know that 
these are the the traits most common with people who who have an issue with that which Henry's talking about procrastination or, or, or apparent laziness or lack of motivation, lack of sort of energy, and a few other a few other things beside. It could be alcohol. Um, you know, you don't have to stop drinking, stop smoking, stop everything or anything. But if there is an issue in your life that's that's causing you concern, it does sound like Henry is concerned about it. Then look at these various aspects and just just check check those out. I don't have anything else to add to that, Colleen. I, I probably put a lot more than that in the, the reply to Henry. But. You did. You had quite a, um, yeah. So you were talking as well about maybe sleep. You know, it's just, I suppose, looking at all the different aspe- aspects of your life that could, in a little way, you know, each of them have a, a detrimental effect on your energy. And it's, it's um, quite understandable to not immediately recognize that these things can have such a bearing on our motivation and laziness and you know energy levels and that you just accept where you're at as being normal and you start to kind of uh take on board these traits as being inherent in you do you know why am i so lazy or why have i got this intense mental resistance to doing things i know i need to do and i want to do there's something wrong with me but actually the first point of call is to look at those other aspects smoking sleeping drinking food intake you know and it might be might not you know in your case might not be but it might be that if you just clear up these these concerns that actually you've got way more energy you're much more engaged in life you you lose this kind of idleness that you you think is um part of your character and uh, it's actually the fault of these these um other behaviors or you know uh, addictions so that that was really interesting to to read that response because i thought it's it's so true that, and i'm guilty of it you know myself that sometimes if i'm feeling a bit you know down or a bit low i start looking for an obvious single explanation for why when actually it might be a combination of a whole load of different things you know maybe i haven't been as careful as as i should have been about my my sleep maybe you know i didn't handle that bit of stress in the most efficient or or, or the best way or maybe you know obviously (laughs) smoking and drinking are no longer (laughs) part of that um equation thankfully um but yeah, if you look at the maybe less obvious causes, that you might be surprised that um, actually everything's all right with you. It was just those other um, those other behaviours that were a problem. Absolutely, I think it's it's really important for Henry and and, and people like Henry and Henry's position to take us on board. What you're saying is so important. You think it's a, 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 a shortcoming in yourself when it's nothing of the sort. You know, it's it's, it's just whatever life has chucked at you whatever you know um, um you lifestyle you've uh, uh seemed to have uh, taken on but have pretty much always been lured into one way or the other and just some fine fine tuning on that can make a huge difference uh, absolutely perfect thank you so much john is that a wrap that is a wrap <laughs> we have done it so that's for another um episode um so you know thanks to everyone who's um sent their questions in and if anyone wants to have their questions answered it's pod at alancar.com p-o-d at alancar.com um and yeah thanks very much john uh, for your time and uh, we'll see you next time pleasure
I'm Emma Hudson. I'm a senior therapist for Alan Carr's Easy Way to Stop Smoking. Um, and I also um, am a meditation and mindfulness teacher. Uh, so I teach, uh, I have taught meditation and mindfulness um, to adults and children for about 11 years. But I helped bring it into Alan Carr's Easy Way by first, I helped with the book, Alan Carr's Easy Way to Mindfulness, the book. So I helped to, 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 to write some of the um, meditations in that and, and guide uh, the editors. Um, and then I bought it online, Alan Carr's Easy Way, eight-week courses to mindfulness, around about lockdown, about 2020. So how did you come to be working at Alan Carr's Easy Way anyway? What was your um, introduction to it? Golly, okay, so I, I stopped smoking uh, in October 99. Um, uh, so I, I I read the book and, and continued to smoke, um, uh, listened to the audio tapes, you know, um, uh, watched the video, uh, still smoked, um, but then um, uh, decided to come onto a, a, a session. And uh, so I came onto a session and just got it, you know, very happy non-smoker. And it was from there that I just was so blown away by this that I just thought, why don't I become a therapist? And I can actually remember the time I was sitting in a pub with my husband and I remember the time I said to him, that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to work for Alan Carr's Easy Way. And he said, go for it. Which is what I did. What kind of a smoker were you and what was it that you think just clicked? I, so I was a quite heavy smoker. So I was about 40, 50 a day smoker. So what was it in the, in the seminar? I think it was just the realisation that it does absolutely nothing. And I, I just suddenly thought, you know, what? I'm just fed up of doing something that does absolutely nothing. And I'm just not going to do that anymore. And it was it was that the, 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 the kind of penny dropped. And that was it. So that would have been covered in the book and the video that you watched. So why do you think what do you think was different when you came to a seminar? What made you have that penny dropping moment? I think there was a point where I just wasn't willing to let go of the belief that there that there was absolutely no point to it because I started to think, well, hang on, if, if I actually accept that there's no point to it, then I've been a bit of an idiot. I've been a bit of an idiot for the past 23 or 25 years, um, uh, you know, and I just wasn't willing to let that go. So I was always trying to find, oh, yeah, but, but you know, but there's got to be something in it or else I wouldn't have done it, you know, and, and on the seminar, it became apparent that there is absolutely no benefit to it whatsoever, no point to it. And when I was absolutely willing to accept that, that's when that's when it 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 just became clear that I would never smoke again. Yeah. Yeah. It was that it was the letting go, letting go of the belief that there was ever a benefit to it. I, I also remember picking up that, that Alan Carr was quite clear that we were never to kind of look back on our past and think that we were stupid as smokers. It was always and maybe this was it. Maybe it was a be clever enough to know you will never smoke again. I thought, oh, well, I, oh yeah, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. I'll be clever enough to never smoke again. I, I like that. That, that fitted with me nicely, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting you talking about letting go because that leads us into the mindfulness program that you run. Can you tell us, Emma, how that all came about? I So as I, I started to kind of teach yoga and, and I started to teach mindfulness and, and really got a good understanding of mindfulness, you know, and I realised actually mindfulness is just paying attention just paying attention um, generally to habitual destructive behavior. And um, so, you know, I was learning all about mindfulness, but still, you know, working for Easy Way and and, and delivering the seminars. And it it just became apparent as I was doing seminars, that actually Alan Carr, he was just being mindful. And he was just bringing our attention to what we are doing and then just breaking it down. 
and breaking down the myths and the illusions and you know and I thought well maybe we could bring it into uh, Alan Carr and then it was when it was suggested that the book was going to be uh, written Alan Carr's Easy Way to Mindfulness um, uh, John Dicey uh, approached me and said would I would I help with the with the writing of it um, because I was actually you know a teacher and had the experience of a meditation practice so I was absolutely delighted then it was interesting because I went to uni, I went to Bangor Uni and I, I studied uh, for three years the science behind mindfulness. So I, I did a master's of science in, in mindfulness and uh, spent some glorious um, time up in uh, Bangor Uni in Wales uh, with researchers, you know, and, and, and really looking at how the brain changes, you know, when you're, when you're putting mindfulness practice in place. And uh, so the first part of lockdown... I had done my thesis. I'd been writing a thesis about self-compassion and, and a mindfulness practice, and kind of that got submitted. I thought, well, why don't we write an eight-week course for Alan Carzito? We've done the book, and that seems to be doing well. So I approached John and said, you know, what do you think? And he said, yeah, can you write a manual? So I, I wrote the manual, like kind of the second part of lockdown. So the, the, the manual, the eight-week eight manual, is it's... it's um, it's quite a bit of Zen because I'm trained by a Zen master and continue that training. Um, there's um, a big dollop of neuroscience. That's the stuff that I studied at, at uni, but a massive big dollop of Alan Carr. So I've married two things that I am massively passionate about. One is Alan Carr and the other is mindfulness. And to bring them together is an absolute joy. It's an absolute joy to be able to bring that um, together. Yeah. I was so happy to see when we launched the mindfulness eight-week course to the corporate market, how well it was utilised and how how many employees took it up. I think in the in the corporate world, the, yeah, there's there's such a big need for it. There's such a big need for it. They're, your your employees will just communicate better if if they've got a mindfulness practice in place. They will just know when to just step back, when to pause, when to take a breath and not trust their thoughts to, to be able to regulate their emotions. I mean, it's a big thing in a boardroom, you know, and I've heard in, in some boardrooms that if they're, when they're about to make a decision, there are some companies that will say, okay, let's just, let's just have two minutes breathing space or a three minute breathing space before we vote on this. And it's just giving everybody the opportunity just to let everything settle and just to see things clearly. That, and they are making the right decision. And I think it's so valuable, so valuable. So yeah. you, you quit smoking, didn't you, with Alan Carr's Easy Way? Did you quit anything else? Yeah, so I, I stopped drinking. Um, uh, uh, that was amazing. <laughs> About 2007, I went into that session absolutely just, I was so open to it. And by lunchtime, I phoned Pete, my husband, and said, I will never drink again. And he, he said, he said, really, you sure? I said, yep. Absolutely, yeah. I'll never drink again. And I remember it was around about my birthday, and we went out that evening. And I remember the first time, just around the family table, and not drinking. And I just loved it. It was referred to as no more diets. I, I don't know what it would be for, would refer to now, but that I went on that session, and, and I stopped eating meat. Then that's when I stopped eating meat. And then the, the uh, good sugar, bad sugar. I read that, and that's completely changed my relationship to sugar. I'm not saying I'm sugar-free, but it's changed my relationship to it. It's a fabulous thing. Yeah. That's a lot of change that Alan Carl's Easy Way has brought into your life, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's, he has been, I, I, he's my, yeah, my life changed when, when I stopped smoking. 
massively. And I, when I, on the taster classes for the mindfulness course, I do free taster classes, um, a couple of hours, and I, I, I give a good introduction of my background. How have I got to be seated here? You know, and I, I make a big point. It was, you know, when I, when I, um, uh, stopped smoking using Alan Carr, that was when my life changed. My whole, my life just went in a completely different direction. And it was fabulous. I mean, it was, he gave me so much confidence as well. Okay. Well, ha- hold on a second. Right. If I had talked, if I'd heard you talking when I was still smoking and drinking, because, you know, back then I truly believed that those are the things that were essential to a happy existence. If I'd have heard you talking back then, I'd have thought, well, what like, would you do then? What do you do for fun? You don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't eat meat or sugar. What, what do you do? I know it's on paper. It just looks so boring, doesn't it? We just look so boring. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just do things that that just genuinely give me a natural high. You know, you just I dance. You know, go to dance classes. I like to read, and you know, uh, I've just got a passion for poetry. I've just got a passion for drawing. Um, but it's it's I put all my passions into stuff that I get. It's a genuine pleasure from. We we actually look at that in the eight week course. So it's actually class six tonight, and we we look at this tonight because sometimes we can lose our way. Just generally, just as we mature, we just lose our way a little bit with what does give us a genuine pleasure. And we look at things that nourish us and things that deplete us. You know, and we we actually get the 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 person that's on the class to to actually write it down. What nourishes you? You know, and even if it's stuff that you don't do. What you know nourishes you? And we get them to look at the stuff that nourishes them and say, right, okay, put that up on your fridge and do more of that and actually work it into your diary that, you know, on, you know, Wednesday evenings, I'm going to go dancing, you know, on Monday nights, I'm going to pick up netball or tennis or running or, you know, I'm just going to do something for me, for me that is mine, that gives me a pleasure just thinking about it. You know, and it's it's a lovely thing. And then the things that deplete us, we can just approach those with a mindfulness, um, a kind of mindfulness practice and, um, you know, uh, just be present. So they've got to be done. They've got to be done, you know, as a rather than resist them. Get it done. Get it done. You know, so life just then becomes just a little bit happier. We we spend a lot of time looking at acceptance and kind of letting go. And we do a whole class on fear you know, is, is fear becoming debilitating? You know, have you a fear of going outside or you've got social anxiety or, you know, is that just a genuinely, you know, fear of, you know, maybe you're in the wrong job and you're frightened of leaving or in a relationship that you're frightened of, you know, walking away from. We get, you know, in mindfulness practice, we get to really look at that and, and maybe give ourselves the option that, you know, maybe I could face that fear. And it's, it can be life-changing if we just give ourselves the possibility that that is an option rather than just dismissing it. So do you feel that Western society is more aware of the positives of mindfulness practice now? I think so. I absolutely think so. It's it's, be, it's massively talked about and also looked at it looked at as an option you know um to help you know prevent depressive episodes and help relieve anxiety and stress it's it's looked upon as as you know it's going to work is it can work there's a possibility that this can work and i work for a charity on a a monday i work for a charity and they have a social prescriber there and uh, the social prescriber is somebody that um uh it says for example somebody's experiencing depression they would be signposted to their GP 
get medication, then they would come to us as a charity and um, we would say, okay, so you've got your, you know, you're being medicated, you know, by your GP, which is great, which is great because, um, you know, often that, that, that's a starting point. Uh, but then the social prescriber actually prescribes something sociable for them to be doing and mindfulness is one of them. Um, uh, so it's, you know, what do you, what do you love doing? You know, do you, do you love, for example, do you enjoy singing? Well, we can, you know, get you to do singing or you could do maybe some dancing or, um, uh, but it's, it's, it's a social thing. It's a social thing. And we have yoga and mindfulness and meditation. And I, as I spend time doing that, so it's definitely recognized now as something that would be prescribed as something that will help you if you're experiencing anxiety and depression without a doubt. Yeah. What kind of people come in your course then? Oh, you get a whole range, a whole range, a whole range of age groups, a whole range of people. Some people have come through because they've stopped smoking and stopped drinking and they're just full of Alencar. They just absolutely love it, you know, and it's, it's really lovely, you know, to, to get them on the coattails of just stopping smoking or drinking. Or people have just stumbled across it. Uh, they've just been looking on the website and they haven't stopped smoking, haven't stopped drinking, but but think actually that they'd quite like to just dip their toe into a bit of mindfulness and, and see what happens from there. So, you know, and you get all walks of life, um, all ages, you know, it's lovely. It's lovely. They, I wouldn't say there's a particular type or age or gender and from all over the world, I guess, as well. Lovely. Yeah, that's, 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 and I have to remember that the time zones are different. And how many people are on each course? How many people would you have on each course? Um, I would say we average, I would say average about seven. And it's proved to be very popular. Mm. Mm. And the feedback is phenomenal. The feedback blows me away. You know, when I get get emails and messages from the clients, you know, and, and just how their life has changed. So do you meditate then as part of the mindfulness classes? Yeah. Yeah. So the eight week course. So the first half hour of the eight week course, um, you know, where they will all appear on Zoom. We just have a quick cut, catch up how we're getting on um, with the practice and any questions they may have. And then we go into a, at least a very least a 10 minute meditation practice. But we do that before we 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 um, tackle the topic of the of the class so the meditation practice has been done and that, that my experience has just taught me do it at the beginning of the class or else you know we we, we can uh get a bit bogged down with questions and stuff at the end and we just run at a time so the meditation practice is is always uh, the first one of the first things we do yeah together and do you have any do you do any breathing techniques yeah yeah and the very yeah it's a good question yeah so from the very first uh couple of classes we look at the breathing technique um and it's i often say if you're a smoker you've got this breathing technique already you just make the out breath longer than your in breath we do that as a smoker don't we you know breathe in for things out for five you know so if you're a smoker you're doing this um just get rid of the cigarette um uh, it's counterproductive uh, with a cigarette um but yeah so breathing techniques yeah and then um and then teaching them you know really how to just allow those thoughts and, and feelings and emotions to arise so we're not suppressing anything but pass so arising and passing arising and passing and just reassuring them that you know a busy mind isn't a bad mind we're just observing we're just observing it's all our job is just to observe we just let thoughts arise and pass so that's interesting so you're not trying to get rid of thoughts or like you're not trying to have a quiet mind 
That's right. That's right. It's an absolute myth. I think one of the biggest myths, and I talk about this right at the right at the beginning in the taster classes. Um, one of the biggest myths is is that um, people believe that my, meditation is is clearing your mind. <laughs> it's, it's just not, we don't want to clear our minds. We don't want to stop our thoughts because otherwise we won't be able to function. You know. So what we what we intend to do is change our relationship to our thoughts. So we allow all those thoughts to come up, but we're just not. They're only for consideration. You know, thoughts are just for consideration. You don't trust them. Just allow them to come up, you know. And, uh, you know, so often you'll get a good one, go with that one, you know, but mostly, mostly 90% of your thoughts are negative. Why is that, do you think? We think, we think it's part of the kind of reptilian brain. And, you know, when we were all kind of living in caves and, you know, and, and foraging for food and um, that we were out, you know, getting our food for the morning and maybe there was a saber-toothed tiger suddenly appeared. We'd run for, for safety. And, and But our mind would have to keep going over that. We'd have to ruminate over that to remind us, one, perhaps not to go back to that area again, but two, there's proper danger out there. And we have got to be aware of it. It's it's a hangover from that. Um, now, the danger that we are experiencing is not life-threatening, but we don't know the difference. Our bodies don't know the difference. So mindfulness allows us to see the difference that, you know, that feeling that we're having kind of uh, uh, reaction uh, to something, um, it's, it's, it's in our body reacting. So, so we can learn to respond to that. So we're not experiencing the danger that we were. We're just not, it's just not life-threatening. We're just getting stressed because, I don't know, um, we're sick, somebody that we find challenging. Okay, that that could create it. That could create that that kind of uh, negative thinking. We'd ruminate over it. And what would someone need to do, Emma, if they were interested in um, the mindfulness side of things with Alan Carr's Easy Way? Oh, yes. So just go onto the uh, the website and follow the link to the Alan Carr's Easy Way to Mindfulness. And I think it's a... a little head with a little red cog in it, I think. Um, so you just um, uh, click on that and then just um, uh, there's some blurb, I think, about what the um, eight-week courses involve and uh, the taster class, what that involves. Then if you just scroll to the bottom, there's a click now to um, register. And uh, the taster classes are free. Uh, so you would just you just click on that and then you'd get the link, the Zoom link sent to you on the Thursday morning. And then, uh, hey, presto, I would appear at 7 o'clock and... And off you go. And then if you wanted to enroll in the eight-week course after the, the taster class and go back online and uh, you can just register online, yeah. And how long is the taster course for? Two hours. So it's two hours. Each weekly course, how long does that take? Is that two hours too? Two hours, yeah. Yeah, so seven till nine. And I'm really strict on I'll start at seven and I, I finish dead on nine. Um, and then I get as much information as I can out in that time. And there's a lot, there's a lot that you can learn. It's great. Uh, so the content of the of the eight eight week courses, I'm just going to go over briefly um, what the uh, class is, the class content is. So class one, class one, we look at the myths and illusions um, around a meditation and mindfulness practice, and we also get to look at setting a practice up. You know where to meditate, when to meditate, um, how long do you meditate for, um, and we look at the difference between a formal meditation practice and an informal mindfulness practice. So we set up your formal meditation practice and introduce a mindfulness practice. So, you know, getting used to just, I don't know, being mindful when you brush your teeth or when you eat or when you're listening. And um, so we just start to get the ball rolling. So that would be class one. Class two is all about stress. 
Um, so that that kind of fight or flight reaction that I think we've we've, we've touched on just briefly there, um, uh, uh, we learn how to respond to it rather than react to it, and we look at the stresses in our lives, and we also look at coping mechanisms that we might be using, such as alcohol or cigarettes or harder drugs, um, uh, just with the intention just to be curious about that. You know, just to understand, am I using, you know, maybe food or or something? You know, we're not saying that you have to stop all of that. We're just going to bring our uh, awareness to it, you know, and and, and look at that. Um, class three is emotional pain. Um, uh, so we all experience emotional pain at some point. Um, but if we are uh, a ruminator, which I am, um, I, so I look at quite a lot at that. It's when um, we're going over and over and over something that... Um, probably happened years ago that we we have no control over now uh, but we can get stuck on it um uh, and so we look a lot at that and look how that can um produce depressive episodes uh, so we look at how mindfulness practice can prevent depression um and depressive episodes and there's a lot of, there's a lot of research that i give out in that class because uh, it's something i studied at, at uni uh, class four we look at fear how to approach fear um uh, so kind of feel the fear and do it anyway and disidentifying um as this is a big class class four we look at kind of who am i um uh, and um we're not who we think we are and how we can invest in roles and make our lives quite miserable if we do that uh, so that's quite a big class class four class five is all about acceptance and all the letting go and we look at self-compassion we look at being kind to ourselves uh so one of the you know most difficult relationships we can have is with ourselves um uh, uh, so we look at offering kindness to ourselves um uh, class six uh, that's this evening uh we're looking at physical pain how to use a mindfulness practice uh around physical pain so that's having an acceptance of physical pain without trying to you know try to get rid of it we're not we can't you know when the pain's always going to be there physical pain uh, but we can uh, um, change our relationship to it and we look at uh, bringing happiness into our lives by doing things that nourish us you know um, uh, uh, things that give us a, a genuine pleasure and classes seven and eight we look at how to keep the practice going so class seven you know plants start to get a little bit anxious because you know the safety net of the course is being taken away um so i offer them um uh, advice on how to keep the practice going by keeping in touch with me you know i give um i offer um people that i know that you know that offer meditation and mindfulness classes that they can attend um and in class eight we look at what you have learned um and how how you will progress from here you know but i don't you don't kind of sp uh, attend the eight-week course and then i just drop you like a hot stone it's you know i try to keep in touch and you know i i run my own business um uh meditation mindfulness business so some people kind of like drift over to me and you know i run retreats and and stuff and people will kind of be interested in in, in coming to a retreat so these are guys that are, are really wanting to advance their practice um uh, so i i give them ways that they can do that once they've left the eight-week course i'm really happy to do that um because that's it that's just gives me a natural high <laughs> that's what nourishes me is to be able to you know see people flourish with this so emma thank you so much for that and what do you think you would be doing now if you hadn't um come across alan carl's easy way do you know what do you know what? i mean it sounds so dramatic it sounds so dramatic when i say this but i don't know i, I don't think i'd be here i don't think i'd be here honestly don't i think i would have i would have done something yeah horrible when i was experiencing massive depression uh, quite a few years ago when my parents were that were dying um uh thank god i wasn't a drinker then yeah so it's i i you know 
but I just wouldn't underestimate what a la carte can offer us. Mention about the feedback that you get from uh, clients who've attended the course. What kind of things do people say? Oh, it's just it's just life changing. It's just they just say it's life changing. Their relationships have changed in uh, in the family. Uh, they've you know, but they will have done life changing things like they will have walked away from that job. They will have have walked away from that relationship. Um, uh, uh, And then um, just lovely. I love it when I get an email when they send me pictures of where they've meditated in the morning. Look where I've been meditating from this morning. And, you know, it's kind of like Italy or Switzerland, you know. I think, oh, my goodness, it's so long. They all say, thank you so much, you know. I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. And it's that that I love. That's the feedback I love, that I'm still out there. I'm still doing my meditation practice and I'm up early and I'm loving it. I'm out in nature and, you know, it's it's that's what I love. That's that's the feedback. It's like when you hear from a smoker, a smoker that stopped and, you know, in years to come, they're still saying, I'm still, I'm still free of it. And they've still got that kind of element of excitement around it all. It's that. It's that. That's, that's the best feedback I think you can ever get. Because sometimes you think, oh, mindfulness, that's only for people who do sit on a mountain and that's right. I mean, it's so many myths. That's that's you know, you don't you know, I'm offering all the meditations. It's one of the first things I say is the meditation practice itself, it can be at least, you know, it can be three breaths first thing in the morning. It doesn't have to be 30 minutes, you know, an hour. It's just three breaths, you know, let's get a starting point, you know. And then um it doesn't have to be done seated. It can be done laying down. I offer all the meditations on the eight-week course laying down. You know, if you're new to meditation, the last thing we want to be doing is sitting on a cushion. It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> I've been meditating for years. It's still uncomfortable sitting on a cushion, you know. So don't do it then. You know, lay it, lay down, lay down. And it's for every. It's for anyone. It's not like um, you have to have a background understanding or be particularly spiritual. No, not at all. You don't have to have any background. Just, you know, just a slight interest maybe in, in what, what is it all about? What is it all about? And then I don't force you, you know, there's no, you know, you just, I suggest everything is on a suggestion. You know, you, I suggest you do the practice every day. If you want the results, I suggest you do the practice every day, but I'm not going to, you know, not going to get ticked off if you don't do it, you know. You don't have homework. Well, the homework would be the meditations. The homework would be the meditations and using what we've talked about in the class uh, just as just to be curious around, you know. So when we talk about stress and the fight or flight reaction, you know, that's okay. So, you know, start simply. That's when you're in a queue at Tesco's or, you know, Sainsbury's or what have you, and the person in front of you is really taking their time and they're beginning to annoy you. Okay, so we're just going to turn towards that. We're going to turn towards that. We're going to use our mindfulness practice to see if we can respond to that rather than react, you know? Um, so that instead of, you know, huffing and puffing and saying, oh, for goodness sake, why are you taking so long? You know, it's maybe we can just bring our attention to our breath, maybe take a couple of moments, have a look around, you know, and then look at the person in front of you, you know, because they've got something going on. Why are they taking so long? You know, maybe it's because the person they're talking to, maybe the cashier is the only person they see today. Maybe they're lonely, you know. We don't know what's going on in their lives, but everybody's got a story. Everybody's suffering. You know, they're not doing it to annoy you. So what if they are, though, Emma? <laughs> then you know, have to accept that everybody's flawed, you know, and if that's something that they would have to work on, you know. Um, so it's having, a, you know, an acceptance of that. You know, some people are just, some people will just do it deliberately. But, you know, why are they doing that? There's something that's, that's not quite right in their lives because that's not natural. It's not natural to want to, you know, g- genuinely annoy people. 
But if you are, if that is your intention, then uh, maybe need looking at, you know, why, why, what, what's happened? What's happened in your life that's created that feeling that you have to deliberately annoy people? Like, is the idea that you, it just dissipates? Like any annoyance or any feeling inside of your body just ups and evaporates? Or is it that you fully experience it? Or is it that you watch it do its thing? I think all of that. I think all of that. I think the, the intention is not for it to go away. So we're not kind of looking at it to with the intention for this. I don't want to feel this. We're, we're not when that, that, that would be wrong. We're, we're, we're turning towards it. And I think living it, you know, where does your anger sit? You know, when you're angry or frustrated, where is it in the body? Just so we're just curious about where where is it? You know, bring bring your attention there. And actually, how does that feel? You know, what's it doing? And then, but we're just not reacting to it. We're not, you know, just you know, the anger is in my stomach and it's swirling around a bit. And you know, um, if I react to it, it'll come up and out in a torrent of uh, of words that I probably will regret. So you know, I'm aware of that. So just so allow the energy to come up. But also, I mean, with anger, we do spend quite a lot of time looking at anger. And, uh, you know, so we respond to the, the feelings of anger rather than react. But if anger is, is still there, then we go and we shout somewhere in the hills, in the shower, in your car, put something on, sing to it really loudly, you know, release that, release that energy, release it, release it. Um, so you're not suppressing it. Otherwise, we just become angry people. So we want the anger to come up, but we're not directing it at anybody. Um, it takes practice, takes a lot of practice, but once you get the idea of it, it's it, it's it's effective. I mean, I'm you know I'm no master at this. I'm no master, and I'm very keen to say that during the eight week course. I'm not a you know I I mess up, I mess up, I get angry, and sometimes I say things that I yeah that the the you know weren't great. It wasn't great. Um, but I learn from it, learn from it. You know, we do spend a lot of time actually looking at that is learning from our mistakes. They, they become our lessons, you know. And maybe it is like a never ending journey. Yeah, it's, it's, it's on. So a meditation mindfulness practice, you wouldn't just do an eight week course and say, oh, I've done that. I've, I've done mindfulness. I know about that. No, this is something that you would have for the rest of your life. I would say with any other thing that Alan Carr offers us, he offers us something that we will do and we will never have to look at it again. You know, you stop smoking using easy way. You don't have to go back and read the book or, you know, you don't have to go over it. You're done. You know, you stop drinking, you're done. You know, stop going there and whatever it is, you're done. Okay. With mindfulness, it's not that. Mindfulness is something that you put in place and you have to keep it with you. It's just a new approach. It's a new approach. We are creating, you know, neural pathways, different neural pathways as a result of a mindfulness practice, but they just need to be, they need to be kind of uh, formed. And the only way to form them is to keep practicing, keep practicing. That, that, that's what keeps us, keep, you just touch in with that every day. And, 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 okay, then that just reminds me not to get pulled in that direction or that direction. Or Like once you've been introduced to this um, approach and new way of uh, thinking or awareness or understanding of who you truly are, there is sort of no going back. Like there's no, you can't then forget, can you? No, 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 that's right. No, 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 no. If you've been to Paris, you can never not have been to Paris. Once you kind of got it, and you're doing it you you can't not know that you can't you know you've got it you've got it yeah yeah 
thank you so much for your time and for sharing it and like you say if anyone is interested in doing the taster session or doing the online video program you just or read the book just go online all the information is there alancar.com um and uh, and how often are the taster sessions run about twice a month i try and put two a month in wednesday or thursday night seven till nine well, thank you, Emma. That was really interesting and well done for all the hard work that you've put into the mindfulness program and its development. And thanks to everyone for listening to today's episode. Please do subscribe to the series so you can hear more inspiring stories about how Alan Carl's Easy Way is changing lives for the better. Until next time. <laughs>